This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Every Monday, we bring you interviews with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. We talk about company culture, corporate leadership, emerging trends in technologies, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we're going to do something a little new and different. We're going to get lost in space. We'll be talking about the future of space travel, if the next generation of innovation lies in the private industry or government space, and what has changed in the project management space in the space industry in the last 20 years. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more are Andrea Benetti and Mike Bierman of Sapienza Consulting. Sapienza Consulting is a leading provider of space mission and project support through people, software, and services. The company has been a supplier to the European Space Agency since 1994. Mike Bierman is the managing director and founder of Sapienza. His background in project management led him to found the company, which specializes in internet-based project management solutions for space agencies. Andrea Benetti is the commercial director at Sapienza, where he is responsible for the company's commercial strategies and activities for mission-critical applications. He leads the company's innovation and new product development strategies and oversees marketing and sales across all business streams. In the interest of full disclosure, Sapienza is a client of Three Pillars, and we're pleased that that's the case. Welcome to the podcast, Mike and Andrea. Hey, great to hear from you, Will. Good to hear from you. Absolutely. So let's kick things off today talking about where innovation in the air and space industry is really coming from. With NASA's funding getting drastically cut in the U.S. and the rise of companies like SpaceX, do you think we've gotten to a point where the real innovation is going to come from the private sector as opposed to the public sector? I think the problem here, Will, is the massive upfront investment. We can see at the moment it's only really the rich entrepreneurs that can afford to pursue such activities, Virgin, PayPal, Google, etc. The problem is, is the huge risk when you're trying to put something up in space. In Europe at the moment, innovation really is, still does come from industry. The European Space Agency has technology programs where they try and predict what technologies they're going to need for future space missions. So that what they do is they then place contracts with industry to come up with the solutions. So really, industry is actually coming up with the solutions. And obviously, they can then see if they can apply these elsewhere. We've seen, obviously, SpaceX, as you mentioned. They've gone into the market for launching cheaper space uh, launch vehicles. But the problem here is, is the reliability there. Will the commercial industry see what they're putting together is uh, going to be reliable for what they're putting up in space? A satellite is an expensive piece of equipment. So I think the thing... We've also seen is Virgin Galactic. They've now experienced the risks involved in trying to put something up in space. And of course, that's going to impact their business. And it will be interesting to see how quickly they can now put in place a commercial business for space tourism. Yeah, and I, I think there was a, a mishap recently with one of the SpaceX launches. Um, they had a failure to launch, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. These things are obviously going to put worries into the commercial industries. Yeah. So 
Being in Europe and having close ties to the ESA, the European Space Agency, the two of you have the benefit of getting a kind of global view into what's happening in the space industry. So most of our listeners are here in the U.S. Are there other countries or companies out there that you think are worth keeping an eye on that we might not hear a lot about in the States? Uh, Sure, Will. I guess um, country-wise, you have to look at the usual suspects. Uh, Europe these days tends to act as uh, in the space sector as a whole primarily, as Mike was saying, through the European Space Agency and more recently through the European Commission and its new agencies which have been formed. Uh, At the national and industrial level, there are uh, specialties in the different countries. Uh, France and Italy are probably better known for their launch vehicles competences, respectfully for uh, uh, the Ariane 5 and soon the Ariane 6 and the Vega launches. Both of these nations are also very active players on the satellite side maybe with some uh, greater strengths in Earth observation and and science area. Um, Both countries, in my view, have a very established and competent space sector, even if a little traditional, which I'm sure will continue to deliver great innovation and results. The influence uh, of Germany in Europe is really getting more prominent and has been growing steadily in the recent years. Uh, They are now the largest TISA funding nation, and the main player on all the recent programs. Maybe also thanks to the emergence of innovative and very successful project contractors, uh, one of which is actually one of our uh, Eclipse clients. These guys complement actually uh, an already strong and um, traditionally established industrial sector that really, uh, when you look at them, covers everything from launch vehicle technology to earth observation to navigation all the way to human spaceflight. I gotta make sure that I don't make any disservice to any of the other European countries and players. And I should say that the space economy here in Europe is propagating very, very fast to all countries. Uh, with, with a great many successful small to medium enterprises really mushrooming all over the place, uh, uh, both looking at the space segment as well as the downstream uh, services, which really uh, space is, is pushing forward now. Um, I guess the last country I wanted to mention is the UK, uh, not just because uh, we are a British-funded company, uh, but because of uh, the great investments and really very exciting innovation that is happening in our backyard, both from a technological perspective as well as a, a, a space business model perspective. Uh, here I'm going to actually go as far as giving you a few names uh, to watch. Um, maybe some of those you've already heard a couple of times. Uh, these are the guys I've really put on, uh, on the list of, uh, of companies you want to keep an eye on. Avanti, Sari Satellites, Reaction Engine, Clyde Space. Uh, these are four examples of great uh, British innovation and uh, success stories in telecoms, small satellite segment, launch vehicle technology, and the CubeSat Arena. And I guess you want to Maybe put Sapienza on that list too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, one one story that's been all over the news this week, and I feel like you can't talk about the space space without talking about the uh, mission to Pluto. What was your reaction to some of the images that you've seen coming back from Pluto? Is that for me, Will? Sure, yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, it's always very exciting to discover what the... Uh, what a planet looks like. Uh, you can make a lot of speculation before you uh, you fly by, but uh, uh, I guess when you start to get the real images is where the real excitement starts. All the scientists get lined up and 
want to dive into the data and really look at what uh, this planet care often from a scientific perspective, what can teach us. Uh, we had uh, a similar level of excitement uh, just a few months ago when uh, uh, the European Space Agency also landed a, uh, a field lander on a comet. I think it's a great time for space and uh, both uh, commercially and scientifically. Yeah, definitely. It, I feel like it gets people excited about the industry, if nothing else, you know, and, and you get to see it, 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 I, I'm not of the generation where I was around for the moon landing, but, you know, some of the same just general um, on a smaller scale, I'm sure. But just like the, the, the awe that you feel when you uncover something for the first time. These are very inspiring times. Yeah, I think, well, I think you're right. I think the dramatic pictures we've seen, you know, the dramatic uh, um, rock formation that you see from, from these images is just fantastic. Uh, as Andrea mentioned, we went to, uh, we saw some um, uh, video recently um, and some pictures from the Rosetta mission uh, on the comet, and um, it was just unbelievable, the rock formation. And when they actually showed you models or or they actually put uh, the pyramids mapped on top of the comet and you saw the extreme size of these uh, uh, cliffs and craters, it's just unbelievable. It's hard to imagine these formations just floating around the solar system. Uh, hey, Will, I was very excited when I saw that uh, there's uh, some... Uh mountains on Pluto and uh, maybe even some snow. Maybe it's a skiable planet. <laughs> <laughs> a guy can dream, can it? <laughs> For sure. So, so Mike, let me ask you about your, your career and how you've seen the space industry evolve. Your background in project management is one of the things that led you to found Sapienza. How have you seen the way that products get conceived and delivered change since you started the company in 1994? I think going back, I've seen a lot of dramatic changes, certainly in the early days. And this is obviously when I was back in my engineering days, we did a lot more putting hardware up there. So we would uh, do try, fly, test, destruct bits of hardware. That's not so common now. Generally, everything is done through simulation, software simulation. So unfortunately for guys like me, it's not so exciting. But yeah, for the software guys, it's, it's pretty good. Now that's on that side. On the, uh, I think the main thing, the big push is obviously to get things done quicker and cheaper. Again, as we mentioned earlier, that's a problem with space projects. You know, we've got the constraints of quality standards. We've got a space qualified components. This takes time. So obviously that's the thing that has to be evaluated, the risks that are involved if you do go down a quicker, cheaper route. And, you know, there are those missions and, and, and certainly companies, as uh, Andrea mentioned, Surrey Satellites have pioneered some of these techniques, but there are risks involved, so you have to evaluate that. So that's the way things have changed on that side. Um, obviously, in project management, I've seen some changes on that side. Um, you know, my former days were very much paper-based, email-based, spreadsheet-based. But now we're using a lot more collaborative tools. And that's one of the things, obviously, we've been doing with our Eclipse product. A good example, I think, is that uh, when a, um, a spacecraft is being developed, it has to go through design reviews. And there are key design reviews that have to take place that involve, obviously, the customer and their requirements. And then what industry is going to build and deliver. And they have to be at a key point. They have to evaluate whether what industry is delivering is meeting the requirements. 
And these are specific stages like preliminary design reviews, critical design reviews, applied acceptance reviews. Now that process was uh, done by the team to look at any discrepancies that occurred between the requirements and what industry were actually delivering. And there was obviously a process flow of forms that took place, meetings took place, discussions took place. Well, what we've done with our CLIPS tool is now we've made it all automated within our system. So we've actually cut down these review times from about a month to uh, within weeks. And really the constraint is more the availability of the people to review the items and then to do the formalities of, of signing off any agreements. So those things that I've seen, the changes over time. So IT has played a big role in that. So I know this isn't necessarily what you focus on at Sapienza, but you're here and I'm curious about it. And we want to get Andrea onto Pluto so you can ski those slopes. Let's talk about manned space travel. So on their website, SpaceX says their ultimate goal is to enable people to live on other planets. Since you're in the space, what kind of time frame do you think we're looking at before I can hop on a rocket and take a two-year vacation to the moon or to Mars? Well, we've got to remember that we last stepped on the moon in 1972. Since then, really, all the resources and space activities have concentrated on the International Space Station. As we know, there's plenty of unmanned missions to moon and Mars, um, but no one really has the resources, which is money, to go to the next stage. What I understand is that we need to obviously build a moon base first if we're going to make it practical to go to Mars. And there's a lot of studies being done by NASA, ESA, the Japanese, Russia, all looking at how they could establish moon bases. And there's a lot of on-Earth experiments going on to see how, what we'd need to do, how we'd live, etc., etc. But really, it's still going to take between 10 to 15 years to just get to that first base, just to get to the moon base. Unfortunately, I really don't see something happening, vacation to the moon for at least 30 years, and Mars, well, it's got to be 50 years. So I guess for me, I'm afraid I'm going to have to stick to my vacation on Earth. <laughs> okay, nice. Well, I'm sure that many of your uh, agreements with clients are governed by NDAs, but can you give listeners a sense of the kinds of things that your clients are looking to do with their space missions? Well, really, the, you know, most of our clients are well established in the space market. Most of the big money is in telecommunications projects focused around multimedia broadcasting. But on the other side, Andrea and I were actually uh, this week at the UK Space Conference up in Liverpool. And there were announcements by the UK Space Agency that they want to grow the current nine billion uh, pound revenue that we currently get from space activities in the UK up to about 40 billion by 2030. Now, at the moment, they're predicting 3 billion is coming from the upstream activities, which is very much building the satellites, building the ground stations, etc. The 37 billion is going to come from the downstream activities, which, is, as I mentioned, is the broadcasting, looking at security, uh, navigation, and weather. But what they want to do and what they were talking about at the conference and the buzzword is the Internet of Things. This is getting all systems talking to each other via the Internet, which allowed us to build things such as autonomous vehicles and smart cities. The argument here is that we need to think about the ageing population, families having less children, over-congested roads, the ageing transportation system. What we need to see is how connecting systems can, together via the Internet can support these problems. 
So one of the things they were talking about at the conference was to be able to make an autonomous car. Then everyone could give up owning a car and we can just have a central service to order cars that come to your house and take you to where you want to go. You then don't need so many roads or large roads. No one needs to take up parking spaces. You know, these are good solutions that they want us to, or industry, to look at. The other thing is obviously connecting all systems together. And then letting the systems take away the mundane decisions that we have to make, like what food do we need to buy, uh, how and when are we going to make a trip somewhere. You know, the systems are out there, if they're connected together and they're sharing information, they can make those decisions for us. Some of this is obviously already possible today. We've got Bluetooth-enabled applications, uh, appliances at the moment. But what they want to do is take this a lot further. Yeah, so basically using space to enable in, in innovation or improvements of life here on Earth. The satellite will be just taking the information from one place and putting it in somewhere else to let some other system make a decision. Um, there are obviously a lot of concerns about how much data these systems will have, how intrusive they'll be. Uh, you know, we all know that at the moment we put a lot of information on Facebook, etc. If we're now having these systems pick up all this data about our human life, how, how, how intrusive is that going to be? But okay, that's something to think about further down the road. Sure. So, so let me ask about a Google project. It's called Project Loon. And their aim is to bring Wi-Fi to all corners of the Earth via a network of high-altitude balloons. Do either of you have an opinion on the feasibility of this and whether or not it will actually ever come to fruition? Uh, well, well um, when Google attempts something, they often succeed. So I see no reason why this is not going to be the case this time, too. Um, I think that the, the one interesting question we should ask ourselves is... Uh, who is going to be the first to succeed in the endeavor to provide worldwide connectivity from the sky? Is it Google? Is it OneWeb? Is it SpaceX? Or is it somebody that is really doing the work a little bit under the radar at the moment and we don't know about? Uh, the main point of difference, really, when you look at these at this three, mostly Google and the other two candidates, is that um, Google's success will not really depend uh, on the launch uh, providers uh, being able to lower the, 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 the launching cost further, which is at the moment one of the biggest uh, stumbling blocks that uh, the space sector has. Uh, so they have a little bit of an advantage uh, uh, in that sense. Um, on the other side, uh, I've heard very recently that there are uh, other very interesting activities, whether it's not balloon, maybe they could be solar-powered airships that... Uh, packed full of payloads can actually provide this connectivity. And this is something that, uh, again, is, is happening at the moment. There are very serious studies about it. There are initial investment into this kind of thing. So I really think that, yes, Google will achieve it. Uh, somebody else may achieve it before them or just after them. But we certainly will have connectivity from the sky soon enough. Okay, and let's, let's talk a little bit about Sapienza's products, going back to Sapienza, because a lot of what we focus on with this podcast is related to product development. Can you give listeners an overview of what Sapienza's products do and what they enable? Sure, Will. Um, the main Sapienza product is uh, called the Clips, as Mike said before, and is an integrated suite of uh, software modules that blend the various disciplines necessary to succeed in uh, managing a space project or a mission within a digital collaborative environment. And let's not 
forget this is an environment that needs to be very secure. Uh, the beauty of, uh, of uh, and really and unique feature of, of Eclipse is that it brings together the many players in the supply chain who contribute to a space mission into a single integrated environment, which is easy to use, unlike some of the more traditional uh, software systems which are out there and have been out there maybe for the last 15 or 20 years. In Eclipse, uh, space project managers and other stakeholders can monitor the evolution and progress made on the space project in real time through a, a web access interface. Uh, I'm sure you can understand that on a mission that can cost from a few millions to some billion dollars, having a software tool like Eclipse at your disposal that allows you not only to save time and increase quality, but also improve collaboration, uh, can really, really, really result in major cost saving. And this is a very hot topic in space at the moment. Um, just to go a little bit about, uh, give you an idea of uh, our Sapienza uh, business goals uh, and vision, uh, we hope to have an Eclipse installed in every major player in the space sector in Europe in the next three, within the next three years, and why not in the US in the longer run. Uh, but we don't want to stop there, to be honest. Uh, we're also working to offer an Eclipse in a competitive and affordable way as a software, as a service to the small and medium enterprises, because we, what we really want to create is, is a network of, uh, of eclipses uh, through which these organizations operating in the space sector can exchange their space project information in a standardized way, effortlessly and safely with each other. And when I'm talking about information, I should be giving you an idea of um, that, what that may be. Just, um, just imagine for a minute that any given space project design and development phase can generate somewhere between a thousand and a hundreds of thousands of documents and records containing key, key data uh, for the design of spacecraft, launch vehicles, and everything else. And that engineers will need to be able to access and exploit throughout the mission lifetime, which can go from a few months to a few decades, uh, a couple of decades, uh, like in, 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 the, in the case of uh, Rosetta. So what we're trying to do is really bring effectiveness, bring collaboration to a sector which is traditionally quite silos oriented. And you release new versions of your products relatively regularly. Eclipse Suite 3.5 was released in December of 2014, for example. How do you decide what features and functionality go into each new release? Well, 3.5 3 is already history for us. Uh, we've deployed 3.6 to most of our clients, and we're just about to release version 3.7. Uh, after that, with 4.0, we actually bring in a whole new design to the UI to make users' life even easier. Uh, going back to your question, deciding what features and functionalities go into each release uh, is a challenging task, which involves uh, the whole of the organization at some level. Uh, we run Eclipse uh, as an integrated product team. Um, in the office, we have a consultant sitting next to the software developers, product owners, and support staff. This is intentional because we wanted to create a mixed product team that can collect inputs from all sides, the client side, the technical side, our own business side. Uh, I should say that our clients are great at providing us plenty of feedback. Uh, we listen to all they have to say, and what we cannot do tomorrow or next month is pipeline and eventually find its way into the product at some point in the future. Um, for many of our customers, uh, um, sorry, uh, for many years, um, our customers have been asking for more flexibility and better affordability. And as usual, faster delivery of simple web-based database applications. Um, 
Eclipse 4.0 will bring to them exactly that. Uh, in, in fact, the new module of Eclipse we are currently working on, uh, which is called DAB, Database Application Builder, uh, will allow within a few minutes a simple configuration of a new web-based database applications for any of our Eclipse users without additional software development cost or infrastructure cost. Uh, this is a space to watch as we believe that this new module will be quite disruptive and um, especially so when you combine it with uh, a deployment on a cloud environment. Okay, nice. And and Eclipse is not the only thing you update, Andrea. You mentioned in the run-up to the call that you just unveiled, I believe, a new version of the Sapienza website. That's true. That went out online just uh, yesterday, just in time. Uh, it's, uh, it's really aimed at giving our uh, uh, customer base more information uh, about the product, about our services. You can find training videos on how to get the best out of our Eclipse tool. And for anybody out there which is interested to join us, you will find plenty of opportunities uh, uh, for jobs at Sapienza as well. Okay, nice. And what's the URL in case folks want to check it out? www.sapienzaconsulting.com Okay, nice. And, and let me close by asking a question about an article that was published in The Independent earlier this year. So it was published on April 1st. It may very well have been an April Fool's joke, but I want to ask you about it anyway. So the title of the article is Space Radio Waves Align in Mysterious Mathematical Pattern Could Be Produced by Alien Technology. So what's a humanoid to make of this article, and do you think E.T. is trying to send us here on Earth a text message? <laughs> well, um, well, I truly hope so, because that would be the sign of an intelligence similar, if not more advanced than ours. But I'm a little skeptical, and uh, I definitely hope it's not one of those aliens from the Independence Day movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it is, I hope that you and Mike will be our Will Smith, and if he uh, means harm, you will punch him in the face right when he lands. Um, oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh nice well guys great note to close on uh, i think i feel good about it uh andrea and mike thanks so much for taking the time out today to speak with us great having you on to talk about innovation in the space industry well thanks to you and the colleagues at three pillars for this opportunity to share a few thoughts and have some fun along the way yeah thanks a lot then well thanks for doing this absolutely it was our pleasure If you'd like to learn more about Sapienza Consulting, you can visit their website at www.sapienzaconsulting.com. That's S-A-P-I-E-N-Z-A. You can also follow them on Twitter at at Sapienza, the number four space. And you can join the more than 1,500 people that are in their LinkedIn group, the European Space Talents Group. Thanks once again to Mike Bierman and Andrea Benetti for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode when we're excited to have Ned Sherman on the podcast to talk about the 2016 Digital Entertainment World Expo and much more. We'll talk with Ned about how to get involved in the 2016 startup competition at Do, how technology is changing not just the media and entertainment world, but the event world as well, and what Ned's experience was like experimenting with an Oculus Rift at a recent industry event. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.
The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.threepillarglobal.com.